We have some extraordinary things that are on the horizon for the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? I mean, as we look forward, we look forward for His appearing for us on that day as we've been singing about this. And we know that as a church, there are big things that are out ahead of us. Big things that are out ahead of us are so incredible as God has promised us that He is coming again for us. Amen? Coming again for His bride, the church. We are uh, in the middle of a series called Prepared, and we've been talking about what that looks like as we prepare ourselves for that time. And what are, what are some of the key events that the Word of God speaks about as we talk about end times and what that looks like? We're talking about key events and key players and looking into God's Word and making certain that we are ready. We want to be sure that we are living as his bride, ready for his return and not asleep, not slumbering and just, you know, going through the motions of being in a relationship with him. But we want to be alive, right, church? We want to be a church that is on fire for Jesus Christ and, and alive for him. And, and so we're talking about what does it mean to be prepared? Not being panicked when you talk about end times, but being at peace. I love the song, It Is Well, because it's a song about peace right? It's a song about hope. It's a song about being anchored, you know, in your faith in Christ. And we know something big. We know as the church is something epic is out ahead of us that we are watching for. Now, speaking of big events, I heard a little rumor that there may be a small game that's going to be played tonight. Anybody planning on watching that little game that's going on tonight? The Super Bowl is happening today. It's Super Bowl Sunday, a game going on between the Denver Broncos and the Carolina Panthers. Every year, this, this game uh, gains more and more viewers. Think about this with me. This is an amazing thought, okay? How many people watch this? Maybe you're going to go to a Super Bowl party later on today. Maybe you're just going to watch it at your house and hang out with your family or whatever, but many people will be watching. How many of you are planning on watching? Would you just lift your hands? Lift your hands up high, okay? A lot of you are planning on watching. Well, you won't be the only ones that will be watching, this event is so big. Millions of people are watching. Last year, it was broadcast in over 180 different countries, broadcast in over 25 different languages. There are that many people that are watching this. There will be over 165 million people worldwide watching this one sporting event. That's amazing, right? Okay, now I thought that was big, but then I started checking this out as I was looking at big events, okay? The World Cup in 2014, the final game, there were 900 million people that watched that game. Nearly a billion people all watching at one time. I mean, that's a lot of people that are watching for something like that. Just curious, who's pulling for the Denver Broncos and Peyton Manning? Would you raise your hands? Okay, we got some of you guys out there hoping that Peyton goes out on top. Who's pulling for the Carolina Panthers? Anybody out there? Okay, a few of you out there, a little more vocal over here. Okay, um... Who, how many of you, you don't care, you're pulling for the food and the commercials? That's you, right? You're all about the food, right? All about the food, you know? I mean, think about the. Speaking of the commercials, I mean, think about this. One 30-second spot last year, it cost on average of $4 million for 30 seconds of advertising. That's more than the next building we're building. Putting it in perspective, right? 30 seconds. Why? Why would advertisers spend that much? Because they know that there are going to be millions of people watching. They know that many eyes will see that, right? And so they're willing to invest in that. 
Speaking of those of you who are the foodies and you said you're in on the food, that's what it's all about, right? Did you know that, that uh, the Super Bowl Sunday is the second largest food consumption day out of the year, only second to what do you think? That's right. So it's like another holiday, right? It's another excuse to blow your New Year's resolutions, right? On this particular day, many people, they end up blowing it. Americans alone will eat 1.25 billion chicken wings today. That's a lot of chicken wings out there, right? A lot of chickens have given their lives, or at least their wings, so that you could enjoy today. If you see a chicken walking around with no wings, you be sure to thank him, okay? No greater love hath a, a chicken than this, that he lay his wings down for the game. I don't think that's in the Bible anywhere, but we'll just say that, okay? We'll eat 28 million pounds of chips. That's a lot of chips. Clapping for chips. I don't know what that's about, but that's great, okay? Do I have any guacamole fans out there? Whoa, okay. Excited today. 80 million avocados. 8,000 pounds of guacamole will be consumed in America today. There will be 11 million pizzas that will be delivered. I'm getting hungry. Are you guys getting hungry? And the whole world will be watching this event, right? People all over the world. That World Cup event Almost a billion people were watching that event. But listen, there's something that is going to take place in the future that, according to Scripture, will make that scene, that event, look like just a small microscopic blip on the radar, according to Revelation chapter 1, and every eye will see it. Every eye will see not just 160 million, but all 7 billion people on earth or however many people are on the earth at that particular moment in history, and that is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every eye will see, the book of Revelation tells us in chapter 1, verse 7, it says, John writes, Behold, He is coming with the clouds. And what does it say, church? And Every eye, say it with me, every eye, that's every eyeball out there in the world will see it. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of earth will wail on account of him. Why will they wail and mourn at his return? They will wail and mourn because they were not prepared. They weren't ready. They didn't get their lives ready. Now, what does it say next? And I want you to say it with me out loud. Say it with me, church. Even so. And what does it say? Amen. Amen. So be it. That's what that means. Even so. Amen. Jesus is coming. The question we've been asking in this series is, will you be ready? Are you prepared? Should this happen in our lifetime or not? We don't know. But we're called by God to live as if it is to live prepared for Him, to be watching for Him, to live with a sense of urgency in sharing the gospel, in living holy lives and blameless lives before Him. That doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but we are to move towards becoming more like Jesus Christ and not living worldly, you know, consumed kinds of lives. And as you read and study the book of Revelation, what you find out in this incredible book where you're blessed as you read it, you find that there's like this tension that's building up a tension that builds in the book, almost like when you're watching a movie and then there's going to be this 
climactic arc in that movie, you know, where something big really happens. And, and it's, it's like you're stretching a rubber band. And you know, if I were to have one today and I was stretching it out at you more and more, you'd feel the tension, right? I wouldn't do that to you. But as you're stretching that rubber band, you know at some point something has to give, right? Something has to snap. I mean, there's got to be something that happens at that point. And as we've been in this series, we talked about John's vision that God gave him, that it wasn't only just a vision for the first century church. Was it for them? Absolutely. But it's also for us today. We believe that there's dual meaning. There's a lot of meaning that's for us today in this as we're called by God to be prepared. But it's, it's given to us to give us today this whole, just, just a resounding hope in our life. Because when we look at the world around us, it's broken and it's messed up. And oftentimes it feels like it's out of control and spinning out of control. But we're given the, a glimpse into the things that are to come by the Lord Jesus to give us an anchor of hope. Here's what it also does is it gives us perspective. It gives us perspective as things are happening in your life today. Maybe you had a horrible week or maybe you got bad news this week or maybe there's something challenging that's happening in your life. As a believer, because the Lord has given this to us, we know that this isn't all that there is. We know that there's hope in our lives because of Jesus Christ and his victory over sin and death and that he's coming back for his church. And it helps us live in the here and now. When we have an understanding of some of the things that are to come, it helps us live now. It helps us know how to live with hope and, and how to live with perspective. Now, what we've been saying is we've been studying this and not just in the book of Revelation, but Jesus Christ is a central figure. He is the main character in all of this. All right, he's the, the central figure, and we talked in one of the weeks about what is called the rapture of the church, and whether or not you're pre-trib or, or mid or post, okay, my, my, I'm not trying to persuade you either way. I lean towards the first one, and I have biblical reasons for that, but here is what I will say. No matter where you find, and I think we've got a graphic that, uh, that I, that I want to go ahead and throw up there, just kind of, we kind of put together a, a bit of a timeline uh, that we find the sequence that we find in scriptures, okay? Not just in the book of Revelation, but so you've got Jesus as the central figure. Then you've got this time that is called the rapture of the church and whether it's pre, mid, post, all right? If it doesn't happen pre, then I'm gonna be watching for him mid. If it doesn't happen mid, I'm gonna be watching for him post, right? Okay, it doesn't matter. But here's what I know that we are to be watching and living for him. Again, I lean towards the first for different reasons that I went into a few weeks ago. You can go listen online. But here is what happens next. What happens next is after that rapture period, there is what is called the tribulation period. And the tribulation period is a seven-year time frame. And, and, and what did we read about uh, and learn about last week in the book of Revelation? We learned that as John was ushered into this incredible worship experience in the throne room of God, there was a search for one who is worthy. A search for one who was worthy to open what we learned about last week was that seven-sealed scroll, right? And what is the seven-sealed scroll? It is the title or the deed to the entirety of the world and the universe, right? And who is the worthy one to be able to take this deed? The usurper Satan has attempted to take it, but he's not worthy. Who is the worthy one that we learned about last week? The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself, right? He is the one who is worthy. Where there was silence in heaven when the question was asked, who is worthy? Nobody spoke up, but only Jesus could speak up. 
only Jesus could step forward. The Lamb of God is who John sees and who all of the, those who are in that worship experience look to him as that central figure. And he's able to take that scroll from the hand of the Father. And, and in the opening of each of those seals, there is a judgment that is poured out upon the earth. A judgment that is poured out during that tribulation time. And that's what you will find is the opening of the seals, okay, uh, and those wax seals, so to speak, because we talked about that document last week. And in the opening of those, you'll find that in chapter 6 through chapter 18. There are details and descriptions and a lot of symbolism, and there are a lot of cataclysmic events that happened during that time, all right? Trumpets sound, bowl of, bowls of judgments of, of the wrath of the Lamb are poured out upon the inhabitants of the earth at that time, is what the Word of God tells us. There's a tension that's building in those chapters. It's like that rubber band that's being stretched, all right, and you know something has to give. Now, during that period, a figure called the Antichrist appears. Now, there has always been a spirit of Antichrist, but this speaks of a specific individual who emerges on the scene during this great time of tribulation. And in this time of tribulation, he presents in a very perverse kind of way a false sense of hope, a false sense of security. And he is a deceiver because he is born of the father of lies. And he deceives the nations. And at the halfway point, Scripture tells us, of this tribulation period, he sets himself up as one to be worshipped, as one to be idolized, thus declaring himself God and demanding allegiance and worship from all of the earth's inhabitants. And at this halfway point, the tribulation period, the level of persecution for Israel and for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ that are here on this earth during that time, the level of persecution, this is called the Great Tribulation. It is at a fever pitch. It is at a pinnacle persecution unlike what we've ever seen before. And many thousands upon thousands will be martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. But many Jews are turned to Jesus Christ during this tribulation period. In fact, becoming the world's best evangelist, that this, the, I mean, better evangelist than this world has ever seen, sharing the gospel with diligence, sharing the gospel with effectiveness, sharing the gospel with urgency, and more people will turn to Jesus Christ during this time, but there will be a great price to pay for their faith. Many of them will be martyred for their faith and they will suffer greatly for their faith. You see, the tension keeps building and building and building. Something has to give in Revelation chapter 6 uh, through 18. It's all pretty bad news. I mean, if we were to say amen right now and say, we'll see you next week, <laughs> you'd be like, whoa, that was heavy. Are you telling me that's all that there is, right? It is bad news. It is bad news for the inhabitants of the earth. It's bad news for those who have rejected Jesus Christ. It's certainly going to be trying times for those believers who turn to Christ and follow Jesus during this time, the ones who come to faith during the tribulation period. It is going to be a difficult and trying time, unlike anything our eyes have ever seen. Certainly, if that's all that there was, that would be discouraging. Amen? That would be a reason for panic. That would be a reason that you would be frightened and filled with fear. But as a rubber band keeps growing, more and more tension. As it's being stretched, that's, the, that's how it feels as you read this book. 
all of creation finally comes back at one certain point and gives praise to God. And here's what you find is that Jesus Christ has the final word and that's all that matters. That's what you're going to find. Can I just give you a little spoiler alert? Spoiler alert for today and next Sunday and the Sunday after. Are you ready? And really for every day in your life. Here's the spoiler alert. Jesus wins. Amen? Jesus wins. Isn't it interesting that he's told us that up front? I mean, he could have made this really suspenseful for us, right? I just want them to live on the edge of their seats, wondering what's going to happen. You know, will I pull it out? He says, I just want you to know something. I got this. You may be struggling right now, but I've got this. And you're going to see with your eyes, it all come together in God's way. You think it might be, why, did he, why does he want us to know this? You think it might be because he wants you to be anchored with hope and you have hope in your life. You have peace in your life. And a world that is spinning out of control around you looks and they're like, how can you be at peace? It's because I know how it turns out. And I may suffer right now, and I may struggle in this broken world that we're in right now, but I know this, that this isn't all that there is, right? When we see darkness, we're given perspective. Now, when you get to chapter 19, which is where I'm going to go today, you're going to find a single word repeated over and over again. Turn there with me to Revelation 19. There's a word that's going to come up again and again and again. It's a word that we use in worship because where the scene of tribulation is on the earth, now the scene moves back to the throne room of heaven in chapter 19. And here is the word that goes, that is given forth by all of creation. It's this word, hallelujah. Everybody say that with me. Hallelujah. All right. That's a word for church. Amen. That's a word. Amen is also a word for church. That's where you say amen. And you'll find that in the word of God. You'll find that in that worship experience. They say hallelujah. They say amen. I mean, they are engaged in this experience, right? This word, hallelujah, it's, it's the word, we, we say praise the Lord. That's what it means. It's a transliteration in the Greek, hallelujah. It's a transliteration of the Hebrew word, halal and yah, okay? And that's where it just basically means this. The Jews, whenever they would sing hallelujah or they would say hallelujah, it would be when God has delivered them from something, it would be whenever God makes things right. It would be when God meets justice out, okay? God putting down some kind of rebellion. God fulfilling his promises to them. And their response to him would be, say it with me, church, what? Hallelujah. They would say, hallelujah. It's God fulfilling his promises. So I'm going to give you a snapshot of some key events that I believe God wants to show us in Revelation 19 to anchor your soul to give you hope for your future as a believer, all right? God didn't have to show us these things, but he chose to, and I love that. I love that he wanted to show me this. Remember what Paul said to the church at Thessalonica. He said, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be ignorant about these things. I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to know these things because he said they're gonna encourage you when you know these things. And you speak these things to one another, and it encourages. By the way, do you know that believers in the first century would go to one another, and they would say this, Maranatha. And that would be the Lord comes, right? And they would say, even so, come Lord Jesus. We're ready. We're eager for his return. They lived in that kind of way. So 
Here's what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time today. We're going to talk about the wedding feast of the Lamb, or the marriage supper of the Lamb. Next week, we're going to talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. You don't want to miss that, okay? We're going to talk about that and all of what Scripture says about that as much as we can get into it. And then the next week, you know what we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about heaven. Isn't that going to be great? To be able to talk about that, and I want to give you hope in that. But these two incredible events in chapter 19, they are called our blessed hope. It's our blessed hope. So let's look there together, starting in verse 6 of chapter 19. John writes this, And then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd. There's going to be a big shout tonight when someone scores a touchdown. There will be 100,000 or more people in a stadium that will be shouting and it will be a roar. Can I tell you that that will be nothing like this shout? All right? I mean, and, it, and again, it would be so loud. Your ears in that stadium, many people, their ears are hurt, right? But I want you to see that heaven, the throne room of heaven is not this quiet little place. It's this place of activity. It's this place of action, okay? And it says this vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder, okay? It's going to be loud there. And what do they say? Now, in the uh, in some of your versions, it says, hallelujah, but let's read out loud. What does it say on the screen? Praise the Lord. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, what does He do? He reigns. Is God sovereign? God is sovereign. That's what this reminds us of. He's sovereign over the universe. He's sovereign over your life. He's sovereign over your family. Let us be glad. And what, church? Rejoice. And let us give honor to Him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and His bride. What is His bride to be doing? His bride has prepared herself. His bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine, the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Who are God's holy people? Is it, is it other people? It's us, right? I don't know if you know that about yourself, but we're going to talk about this. But you are declared by Jesus when you put your faith in him. You are declared righteous. You are declared by Jesus holy. This is what he says about us, okay? This is what is so glorious about this. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, John, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. You've been invited. Have you responded? Have you RSVP'd? And he added, these are our true words that come from God. Now, John is so overwhelmed by this angel, okay? He's so overwhelmed by this scene. John says, then I fell down at his feet, the angel's feet, to worship him. But he said this, and I can imagine the angel, whoever it was, whether it's Gabriel or Michael, or we don't know maybe the name, I can imagine him going, no, 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 don't worship me. You know, uh, no, we know how that worked out when Lucifer tried that a little earlier. He got thrown out, okay? And uh, he's saying, no, don't worship me, for I am just a servant of God, just like you, just like you and your brothers and sisters. That's us, guys who testify about their faith in Jesus. 
Worship only God. Let's say that all together. Worship only God. That's a way to live your life right there. Worship only God. An audience of one. For the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness of Jesus, for Jesus, right there. The essence of that. So check this out today as the church. I don't know if you know this. As the church of Jesus Christ, do you know this, that we are in the engagement period of our relationship with Jesus Christ. You are engaged. I didn't know if you knew, but congratulations. You're engaged. It's the engagement period. And so we've been engaged. And and as you're engaged, as we are engaged, we are to be preparing ourselves for the moment that we meet him and see him face to face. Isn't it fascinating to, to just read this and think that one of the depictions and one of the descriptions of the kind of relationship that we have with Jesus is, is like a covenant marriage relationship. But that is how it's described, a covenant marriage relationship. We are called, for those of you that don't know this and those of you that do, I want to remind you, as the church, one of the church's descriptions is called the bride of Christ. We are called the bride of Christ. You were singing it a few moments ago. Like a bride waiting for her groom will be a church ready for you. I love the the sound of preparation. That's all biblical, what we were singing, what Danny was leading us in. It's all biblical, all right? He's talking, he was leading us and singing this to the Lord today. We're going to be ready for you. And, And in this covenant marriage relationship, there's a preparation time. Before we return to the earth with Jesus Christ to rule and reign with him, there is going to be a great feast. There's going to be a great supper with Jesus himself. It's a marriage made in heaven. And the angel choirs will be there. And they will be declaring hallelujah. They'll be singing the hallelujah chorus. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be a party. It's going to last forever in the presence of Jesus. And the Lamb of God himself will be the one who receives us, his bride, to be with him forever. This all happens before the return of Jesus Christ. It happens before the return of Christ that we'll talk about next week. Now, I think, ladies, you often appreciate this imagery much more than we men do, all right? Especially we men who are manly kind of men, all right? We're, man, we're masculine men. We're manly men. When you start talking about being the bride of Christ, some of us men are like, I don't know about that. I don't know that I like being called a bride, okay? I don't know that I really am down with, with, with being thought of wearing this white dress, you know, or whatever. You know, I don't wear a dress for anybody, you know, or whatever. But, but a lot of times we men, we kind of check out on this. But I want you to hear this, men. Those of us who have believed and received Jesus Christ as our Savior on this day, okay, the reason this kind of imagery is used, it's used this to talk about the kind of promise, It's used to talk about the intimacy of the relationship, the depth of the love that that Jesus Christ has for us. The way that, that you pursued and have pursued maybe your bride, you pursued her at that point, right? Jesus Christ has pursued us. He has loved us first. There's a depth uh, in this imagery to the kind of love that it is. I mean, it's an intimate kind of love. And let me just say that that God himself is the one who defines marriage. I want to just say this, okay? Not any man, 
Not any court of men defines marriage. God has defined what marriage is, okay? And it's an unchanging value that we hold to here at ABC. Why? Because it's an unchanging and eternal value that we clearly see that God holds to. We see that this imagery is used for a reason here, okay? So there's going to be this great celebration, this great relationship between Jesus and us. And so you may wonder, well, who is going to be at this feast? I mean, who gets to be there? Well, it's people from all nations, people from all stages of life, from all of history who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Those who are believers, if you are a believer, you will be there. You have made your reservation. You've RSVP'd, so to speak, right? And we'll all have this thing in common. You say, well, why do I get to be there? The only thing throughout history that we will all have in common and why we get to be there, we will get to be there purely only because of the blood of the Lamb. That's it. We can never be good enough to get there on our own. You can never earn it by how often you come to church or how much you give or how good you are or any of these things. We are there purely by the grace of Jesus Christ in our lives. We're there because of his grace. We get to gather around this banquet table of the Lord, not because we deserve to get to be there, because I know myself and I know I don't deserve it. And I don't know if you know this about yourself, but I hate to say this, but neither do you. We're all sinners, aren't we? We're all broken. We're all flawed. We all are blemished by sin, right? But we get to be there because of what Christ alone has done for us already by his sacrifice where the blood of Jesus Christ covers us. Now let's get practical. Why is this wedding going to happen? Why is this wedding feast even going to happen, this celebration of the love of Jesus? Why is it going to happen? Well, it, it's, it's going to happen in the same reason that any wedding should happen, all right, for the right reasons. It's because somebody loves somebody. It's because somebody is crazy in love with somebody. And I don't know if you know this today, but do you know that Jesus is in love with you? He loves you. And he's proven it to us. That his love is great and there's a depth to his love and it's a sacrificial love. He loves us in spite of all of our blemishes. He loves us, amen? Aren't you thankful for that? He's crazy for us. And when we hear that Jesus loves the church and here's something that I know a lot of people are like, well, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. I hate the church. I've been hurt by the church. And I know we've all been hurt. We've all been marred by the church or or hurt by a church. Maybe you were at, maybe here, I don't know, other people who are a part of the church. But here's what I do know. Jesus Christ loves the church. And because Jesus loves the church with all of its imperfections, we are called to love the church with all of its imperfections. And we are not in that glorified state yet, but we are being made more holy. We are to be transforming more and more every day to look more like Jesus. Jesus loves us in spite of our imperfections. And we are to love the church because Jesus loves the church. Now, sometimes when you say, well, Jesus loves the church, a lot of times we don't personalize that. We think, well, of course, Jesus loves the church. I mean, he proved it. But here's what I want you to hear today. You make up the church. Jesus doesn't love this building. He loves you. A lot of times, because of baggage we have in our life, we're like, well, yeah, of course, Jesus loves other people in the church. No, listen to me today. You are a part of the church if you place your faith in Christ. I want you to hear this. I want you to walk out of here today knowing this. I want you to walk with this all week. Jesus Christ loves you. 
And I know we've heard that so many times. You've heard that from preachers throughout the ages, maybe. But, but sometimes we just need to revisit the place of our first love and hear it all over again like we've never heard it before. He loves you. He's crazy about you. And he's proven that over and over. He loves you. And, and so, you know, sometimes people, when you talk about the wedding feast of the lamb, they're like, well, what are we going to eat there? I mean, that's the foodies, those of you who raised your hand. What are we going to eat at this feast, you know? Is there going to be good food there? Is there going to be Krispy Kreme donuts? You know, I'm wondering about that. I'm kind of thinking about those this morning. You know, who's going to be that? I'll tell you this. I don't think we'll have rubber chicken, okay? I don't think that will be there. So who are some of the guests? Who's going to be there? Won't it be neat you having some conversations with some of those other saints that are there that are kind of witnessing this event? You could talk to Moses and you could be like, hey, Moses, would you pass me the manna? You know, or something like that. You know, man, this is a little bland. Hey, Lot, would you pass me the salt? <laughs> Just kidding. All right. And, uh, you know, you can kind of poke Lot a little bit. I don't know. Just, just thinking about that. Maybe I'll do that. Maybe I won't. But, the, but here's the thing. Sometimes we get so caught up in the details. Can I tell you what the focal point of this supper will be? You won't be able to take your eyes off of Jesus. Hey, Amen. In all of his glory, in all of his splendor, the groom, you will be infatuated with him because of his love that he's proven. The, the point is his love. Uh, what is this point of, you know, what, why is this imagery used in the ancient times? A marriage was the greatest celebration and the greatest social event of their day. You know, it was a big deal. And I know it's big, a big deal today, but this was, everything stopped in a town because someone was getting married and everyone went to a feast. Every eye was on this couple Every eye, I mean, every family, everybody celebrated this. I want you to write this down. This event is a celebration of Christ's love for the church, all right? And, and in the ancient times, there was three parts of a, of a wedding. There was the betrothal. We call that engagement today, but the betrothal in this day was a deeper kind of commitment, I mean, it would start early on and it would be an agreement between parents early on. And, and there would be this, you know, when you hear about Mary and Joseph, they were betrothed to be, mar to be married, right? To be wed. And there would be a period that it, there would be a period of preparation. It's the time that we're in right now with Jesus. And then there was a presentation of the bride where there was a huge festive uh, kind of event where the bride would be presented. And then there was the actual ceremony where vows were exchanged. But I want to point something out to you. We're in this betrothal stage right now, but I want you to write this down, which means this, the bride is to be preparing herself for this day. We are the bride. And did you see when we read where it said she has prepared herself? That means you're to be doing that right now. You're ready. You've gotten yourself ready. You've been living. Now, I've done a lot of weddings in, in such a way. Uh, uh, you're living in such a way where you're purifying, becoming more like Jesus Christ, being a bride that is able to be presented pure before him on that day. And I've done a lot of weddings in 25 years. And you know one thing I've learned for sure? There is a lot of preparation that brides put into weddings. You do not mess with the bride and I've learned you don't mess with the bride's mama. All right, I've learned that, okay? 
It is a process for brides, right? We men, we have no clue the amount of preparation. You know, we're just like, we show up, right? Let's, let's get to the, uh, the after festivities, right? And we men, we have no clue. Brides have been preparing for months. Many have been preparing for years. Some of them as little girls have had in their mind what that day is going to be like. And, and you know, and, and, and I was just doing a little research on this. Uh, about the preparation, and I looked up that there are a number of magazines that help brides get ready. You've got all these magazines. You've got brides. You have modern brides. You have today's bride, elegant bride. You have bride again, okay? And you have New Jersey bride, okay? I found that one there. The list keeps going on and on and on. You know what I discovered as I was looking into this? There are no magazines for men about this, There's no modern grooms that's out there. There's no elegant grooms or anything of that nature going on. There's no TV show called Groomzilla, okay? You don't find that. It's called what? Bridezilla. And why are there bridezillas? Because they have it in their mind. This is what it's supposed to look like. And we're all getting ready for that day. And I will run you over if you mess up my wedding day, right? Now, we're not to be living that way, but look at what it says back to verse 7. And his bride has done what? Prepared herself. Prepared herself. We're going to be, we're to be spending our time now as the church, as we're living right now, preparing, getting ready, getting ourselves ready to present. We're in this engagement and betrothal period of this union. Why? Because Jesus Christ loved us first. He pursued us first. What's the purpose of the betrothal? It's to get ready. It's to get prepared. Here's the next thing. Write this down. The bride is given honor on this day. The bride is given honor on this day. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you something, kind of turn this here in just a second, because you may think, well, didn't you just say that every eye is going to be on Jesus? Yes, it will be, all right? But here's what I want you to see. Something interesting is mentioned in this passage. It says uh, what we're going to be wearing on this day. It says, the Bible says, and his bride has prepared herself. That means it's already happened. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the, say it with me, church, the what? Good deeds of God's holy people. Who is that? That's us. We are the holy people that he's talking about. So often scripture will interpret itself. So often it will tell you what this is about, okay? What are these fine linens? It tells us. You know, and I'm at a lot of weddings. I get to do a lot of weddings, and I have a perspective that many of you don't get to see, all right? And what I see is, is, is I'll tell you, as the bride is prepared to come in, you've got people coming in beforehand, right? And then when the bride gets to that certain place, the music stops that's going on, and there's new music, and it's big music. It's grand music. And then I will say, or whoever's leading one will say, all stand, right? Please rise up in honor of the bride. And all eyes then go to the bride at that point, right? And I, I, I usually, I, I, you know, as I'm doing these weddings, I always kind of watch the guy who's standing right here. And so many times you see this guy's face when he sees his bride. I mean, it's an, inc- it's an incredible view I remember whenever, and, and sometimes I get choked up doing these weddings. I mean, I get beclimped doing weddings sometimes because it makes me think of when I saw my bride Hope walk down the aisle. 
And I got to tell you, I was bawling like a baby, wasn't I? Bawling like a baby. Hope looked like stone cold Steve Austin, all right? She did not shed one tear because I think she was shell-shocked, okay? Am I really doing this? But, but now, I didn't see her like stone cold Steve Austin. That would be weird, okay? But what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, is that I, you know, you have that, and all eyes are on her, right? And, and, and you see that purified bride, that presentation, that's a presentation of a purified bride. And really when, when all eyes see that purified bride, I want you to hear this, church, because really this isn't about the bride. What I really want you to hear is the reason that this bride can even be purified is because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, that now his blood covers us and now we have been declared by him righteous. Do you know that? Did you know that you've been declared holy? You may not feel that way. You say, you don't know what I did this week. or You don't know how I'm struggling with this sin or whatever, but there is a covering over you. There is a purification that has happened for you. You're clothed in white, not because of your actions. You're clothed in white because of the action of Jesus Christ on the cross. And you've been purified. Second Corinthians says this, Paul writes, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become, what does it say, church? Say it with me, the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God now. You've been purified. Or how about when Paul writes this to the church at Ephesus when he's talking about this mystery of marriage and the mystery of the relationship of the church and Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says in verse 25, chapter 5. For husbands, this means love your wives. Maybe that's what just some of you need to hear today. Love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church, what I'm talking about is Jesus loving the church. Maybe your practical application today is you say today, men, you know what? I'm not loving my wife that way. And I need to repent from that. And I need to love her the way Jesus has proven that he loves me. All right, just as a little side note there. And he gave his life up for her. That means that it's not all about you. That means that you're willing to die to self the way that Jesus died to self. And, and what did he do in that process to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word? He did this, Jesus did this to present her, that's us, to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and say it with me and without what? Fault. You are faultless. You're blameless. Even though you still struggle with sin and I still struggle with sin, he's declared us righteous. You know, and you know, it's just an incredible thing to ever think about the fact that words like righteous, words like holy, blameless, faultless, you may have never in your wildest dreams thought that those words would be spoken as description terms for you. But that's what he's saying about you. That's what he's declared over you. Right, especially maybe in light of what you did in your past and what I've done in my past and our sins prior to Jesus and maybe what we struggle with now. Just a quick word just about our righteousness and the reason that we can even be called clean or be called pure or unsoiled or any of these things. Our garments are clean because we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus alone. We do not save ourselves. It's purely His grace 
We're saved because of Jesus. And now we stand positionally clean before Jesus Christ. Positionally clean. You are looking at a righteous man today. But you don't look righteous. I'm not on my own account. I am looking at a group of holy and righteous people today. You know what I'm looking at today? I'm looking at a group of saints. See, I don't feel like that. You know what's amazing is it doesn't take guys in big hats to get the vote on whether you're a saint or not. Jesus Christ said you are the saints of God. And you see, when you get that and you grasp that, you know what? You recognize there's a responsibility that comes with that. I've been promised to him. And I'm going to live according to that promise. All right? You have positional righteousness before God. This is called, there, there are phases of our salvation, okay? Um, just very quickly, just quick theological teaching right here. This is called justification. This is what has already happened. When Jesus died and you placed your faith in Christ, you're covered in the blood of Jesus. Positionally, you are righteous before Jesus Christ now. It's already happened. I have been saved, okay? Now, there's a practical righteousness that goes along with this. There's a you living your faith out. Now that you have been saved, your response now to the grace of God in your life is to live for him and this is called sanctification sanctification is present tense i am being saved right now all right i'm being saved and you'll find this word used over and over again in the greek as they write about these things they have different tenses that show up and you have you have past tense when you're dealing with justification passages you have uh, when you're dealing with sanctification all sanctification means is you're being made to look more like jesus every day when you make that good choice when you choose to serve that person who's unlovable when you when you choose to honor your husband when you choose to love your wife when you choose to do these you know these kinds of self-sacrificing things when you're making those choices, you're looking more and more like Jesus. This is sanctification. It's happening right now. When you make those choices, do you realize that you are making the bride even more beautiful? Every time you make a good decision, you are making the bride more beautiful to present before Jesus Christ in your response to the grace that God has given in your life, all right? Every time you make a good choice for Jesus, you need to know it does not go unnoticed. You're purifying the bride, purifying the bride, where we'll stand in those pure white garments that are worn before him throughout all eternity. Justification, sanctification. Now, here's the final thing. When you stand before him, you will experience what is called glorification. Glorification is future tense of your salvation. It hasn't happened yet. It's gonna happen for you. And for me, one day, that's I will be saved. This is when I'm given a body like Jesus Christ. And when we are presented before him at the wedding feast, we will be in our glorified state. You will have a body like Jesus had after his resurrection. And we will begin to look like, we will look like him. We're given a body like him. We are saved from all of this death. We're saved from all of this sickness. And this brokenness in our world, it's where our salvation will be completed in him at the presentation of the bride. And therefore, in the meantime, we wait and we prepare, right? We wait and we prepare, not slumbering, 
not asleep as a church, not resting on our laurels, but moving forward for Jesus Christ, moving forward, purifying the bride. So here's what I want to leave you with. Are you purifying the bride with your actions? Are you living in such a way uh, with your life where you've been saved by Christ, where you're making decisions that, that purify the bride and make the bride even more beautiful? How are you living in response to this grace in your life? Am I serving the Lord or am I just sitting around? Am I active in my faith or am I just, you know, just, just kind of like sitting back, sleep? I don't care about anybody except myself. Am I making the bride more beautiful? I guess another way you could say it is, am I getting prepared? Do you want your life to be a testimony of God's grace in your life or not? Here's the final question. Have you made your reservation? And it doesn't come by how good you are or what you can do. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior? And if you have, you're going to be there. If you haven't, I hope you heard today this. He loves you. He came for you. Let's pray together. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to know that He came because you were on His mind. And He's been pursuing you all of your life. When He went to the cross... He was thinking about you and about me. And he laid his life down and paid the penalty for our sin. And the scripture tells us over and over again that if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, that we will be saved. That's how you make your reservation for that day. It's your faith in Jesus Christ. And you saying, Jesus, will you save me? Jesus, I want to live for you today. I want to thank you right now, Jesus, for, for showing that kind of love and proving it. So, Father, by your grace, through my faith in you, I receive this gift of salvation. If you've never trusted Jesus, I urge you to pray to him right now.